any large-scale human cooperation, whether a modern state, a medieval church, an ancient city, or an archaic tribe, is rooted in common myths that exist only in people's collective imagination. Churches are rooted in common religious myths. Two Catholics who have never met can nevertheless go together on crusade or pull funds to build a hospital because they both believe that God was incarnated in human flesh and allowed himself to be crucified to redeem our sins. States are rooted in common national myths. Two Serbs who have never met might risk their lives to save one another because both believe in the existence of the Serbian nation, the Serbian homeland, and the Serbian flag. Judicial systems are rooted in common legal myths. Two lawyers who have never met can nevertheless combine efforts to defend a complete stranger because they both believe in the existence of laws, justice, human rights, and the money paid out in fees. Yet, another, none of these things exists outside the stories that people invent and tell one another. There are no gods in the universe, no nations, no money, no human rights, no laws, and no justice outside the common imagination of human beings. People easily understand that primitives cement their social order by believing in ghosts and spirits and gathering each full moon to dance together around the campfire. What we fail to appreciate is that our modern institutions function in exactly the same basis. Take, for example, the world of business corporations. Modern business people and lawyers are, in fact, powerful sorcerers. The principal difference between them and tribal shamans is that modern lawyers tell far stranger tales. The legend of Puget affords us a good example. An icon that somewhat resembles a staddle lion man appears today on cars, trucks, and motorcycles from Paris to Sydney. It's the hood ornament that adorns vehicles made by Puget, one of the oldest and largest of Europe's car makers. Puget began as a small family business in the village of Valentigny, just 200 miles from the Stadel Cave. Today, the company employs about 200,000 people worldwide, most of whom are complete strangers to each other. These strangers cooperate to effect so effectively that in 2008, Puget produced more than 1.5 million automobiles earning revenues of about 55 billion euros. In what sense can we say that Puget SA, the company's official name, exists? There are many Puget vehicles, but these are obviously not the company. Even if every Puget in the world were simultaneously junked and sold for scrap metal, Puget SA would not disappear. It would continue to manufacture new cars 
and issue its annual report. The company owns factories, machinery, and showrooms, and employs mechanics, accountants, and secretaries, but all these together do not comprise Puget. A disaster might kill every single one of Puget's employees and go on to destroy all of its assembly lines and executive offices. And then, even then, the company could borrow money, hire new employees, build new factories, and buy new machinery. Puget has managers and shareholders, but neither do they constitute the company. All the managers could be dismissed and all its shares sold, but the company itself would remain intact. It doesn't mean that Puget SA is invulnerable or immortal. If a judge were to mandate the dissolution of the company, its factories would remain standing and its workers, accountants, managers, and shareholders would continue to live. But Puget SA would immediately vanish. In short, Puget SA seems to have no essential connection to the physical world. Does it really exist? Puget is a figment of our collective imagination. Lawyers call this a legal fiction. It can't be pointed at. It is not a physical object, but it exists as a legal entity. Just like you or me, it is bound by the laws of the countries in which it operates. It can open a bank account and own property. It pays taxes, and it can be sued and even prosecuted separately from any of the people who own or work for it. Puget belongs to a particular genre of legal fictions called limited liability companies. The idea behind such companies is among humanity's most ingenious inventions. Homo sapiens lived for untold millennia without them. During most of recorded history, property could be owned only by flesh-and-blood humans, the kind that stood on two legs and had big brains. If in 13th century France, Jean set up a wagon manufacturing workshop, he himself was a business. If a wagon he'd made broke down a week after purchase, the disgruntled buyer would have sued Jean personally. If Jean had borrowed 1,000 gold coins to set up his workshop and the business failed, he would have had to repay the loan by selling his private property, his house, his cow, his land. He might even have had to sell his children into servitude. If he couldn't cover the debt, he could be thrown in prison by the state or enslaved by his creditors. He was fully liable without limit for all obligations incurred by his workshop. If you had lived back then, you would probably have thought twice before you opened an enterprise of your own. And indeed, this legal situation discouraged entrepreneurship. People were afraid to start new businesses and take economic risks. It hardly seemed worth taking the chance that their families could end up utterly destitute. This is why people began collectively to imagine the existence of limited liability companies.
such companies were legally independent of the people who set them up, or invested money in them, or managed them. Over the last few centuries, such companies have become the main players in the economic arena, and we have grown to you so used to them that we forget they exist only in our imagination. In the U.S., the technical term for a limited liability company is a corporation, which is ironic because the term derives from corpus, body in Latin, the one thing these corporations lack. Despite their having no real bodies, the American legal system treats corporations as legal persons, as if they were flesh and blood human beings. And so did the French legal system back in 1896, when Armand Puget, who had inherited from his parents a metalworking shop that produced springs, saws, and bicycles, decided to go into the automobile business. To that end, he set up a limited liability company. He named the company after himself, but it was independent of him. If one of the cars broke down, the buyer could sue Puget, but not Armand Puget. If the company borrowed millions of francs and then went bust, Armand Puget did not owe its creditors a single franc. The loan, after all, had been given to Puget, the company, not to Armand Puget the Homo sapiens. Armand Puget died in 1915. Puget, the company, is still alive and well. How exactly did Armand Puget, the man, create Puget, the company? In much the same way that priests and sorcerers have created gods and demons throughout history, and in which thousands of French curés we're still creating Christ's body every Sunday in the parish churches. It all revolved around telling stories and convincing people to believe them. In the case of the French cures, the crucial story was that of Christ's life and death as told by the Catholic Church. According to the story, if a Catholic priest dressed in his sacred garments solemnly said the right words at the right moment, mundane bread and wine turned into God's flesh and blood. The priest exclaimed, Hoc est corpus meum, Latin for this is my body, and hocus pocus, the bread, turned into Christ's flesh. Seeing that the priest had properly and assiduously, assiduously observed all the procedures, millions of devout French Catholics behaved as if God really existed in the consecrated bread and wine. In the case of Puget S.A., the crucial story was the French legal code, as written by the French Parliament. According to the French legislators, if a certified lawyer followed all the proper liturgy and rituals, wrote all the required spells and oaths on a wonderfully decorated piece of paper, and affixed his ornate signature at the bottom of the document, then Hocus Pocus, a new company, was incorporated. When in 1896 Armand Puget wanted to create his company, he paid a lawyer to go through all these sacred procedures. Once the lawyer had performed all the right rituals and pronounced all the necessary spells and oaths, 
millions of upright French citizens behaved as if the Puget Company really existed. Telling effective stories is not easy. The difficulty lies not in telling the story, but in convincing everyone else to believe it. Much of history revolves around this question. How does one convince millions of people to believe particular stories about gods or nations or limited liability companies? Yet when it succeeds, it gives sapiens immense power because it enables millions of strangers to cooperate and work towards common goals. Just try to imagine how difficult it would be, would have been, to create states or churches or legal systems if we could speak only about things that really exist, such as rivers, trees, and lions.